right, you guys pumped after that video? <laughs> uh, makes me want to like go um, jump out of a plane or something like that. Um, all right, we're going to be talking. We're going to continue in our, our conversation that we started last week called Disciples. So if you have a Bible, open with me or turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew is in the New Testament. Uh, the first book, in fact, of the New Testament. It's one of the stories or accounts of the life of Jesus. And we're going to get into this here in just a moment. But before we do, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, my name is Steve, and I'm the lead pastor here. And if you want to get baptized uh, or be an intern, I guess email me, and <laughs> I'd be happy to talk to you more about that. Um, but a couple of other things that I wanted to share with you uh, today. So we've been talking a, a little bit, kind of teasing out some of the things that, that have been happening um, around a, a team that we sent to Santiago, Chile, um, back in February. Um, this is part of an ongoing partnership that we have with an organization called Global Scope. Global Scope does international campus ministry, uh, campus ministries all over the world. They have four teams, though, serving in uh, South America, Latin America, one in Mexico, one in Uruguay, and two in Chile. And those teams get together, they try to anyway, get together about once a year because they share you know, language and context um, and they even send people back and forth, students and interns and things like that. And so uh, for them, this is a really special moment when they're able to gather together just those four teams for, again, encouragement, training, uh, learning from each other, uh, just relationally. It's a very rich time. And as we've uh, grown our partnership with them, one of the things that they had asked us was, hey, do you think you could help us uh, make this thing happen? They call it LatinScope. Could you help us make LatinScope happen? Um, and so we got really excited about that, and we sent a team down in February to help make that happen. And I wanted to share with you just a, a little uh, a snippet of a conversation that I got to have with David Osa. David is uh, someone that we support here at Discovery. Part of that generosity that we just talked about goes to people like David and Clau, um, who are serving students in Montevideo. And uh, I just asked him to share a little bit about how he felt like things went, um, some things that, that he's been thinking about as he's processed the experience. So uh, we're going to show a little video clip of that conversation. This is from a Zoom uh, call, so it's not the greatest video in the world, but um, take a look as David shares for a moment. Hey, Discovery. This is David Osa from La Ruta, Uruguay. Um, we recently uh, had our Latin scope meeting which is a meeting of every ministry within the well latin america america latina so we had a team from mexico a two from chile and our team from uruguay um we met in santiago chile and we were blessed with a group of people from discovery that you sent to help us run the whole thing and uh, i just want to thank you all because it was amazing uh to share with them, to get to hear some good stories, uh, to be also loved by them, by them by like serving us, helping us with like meals and childcare and like worship, teaching everything. It made everything so much easier and so much better. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for allowing them to go and also traveling a few thousand miles to love us in Santiago, and we really hope that that will continue to happen because it was incredible. So thank you. Very cool. As he said, this is something that we hope uh, we are able to continue um, in coming years. So 
uh, something to be thinking about and praying about. I would just uh, throw that out there. Um, but again, I want to say thank you to the, those who were able to go. So uh, Antonio, my wife Amy, our interns, um, Joshua, Pamela, and Ross were all a part of that, as well as good friend of Discovery Chico. Um, and, uh, and so they did a great job. But also I know many of you here were, were thinking about them, praying about them, maybe even gave financially to help make the trip happen. And so I want to thank you as well. This is not just about the team that went, right? This is about our whole community. So well done, Discovery. Uh, one other thing that I feel like is just worth mentioning today is that this is the three-year anniversary of things shutting down and kind of the beginning of the reality of what the COVID pandemic would be. So it was three years ago today that we did our first uh, live stream from the old, I'm wearing the same shirt, which is great. Um, looked like we were in a cave in a mountain somewhere. Um, you can take that down now. Uh, but that was three years ago, believe it or not. And I just feel like, you know, I don't really have a whole lot to say about that other than I think it's worth commemorating this and also in, in many ways uh, just it's a way to acknowledge and celebrate what God has done over the last three years in preserving our community, growing our community, getting us back um, into the theater where we can be together as we are this morning um, and not sitting in our living rooms watching that. Right? <laughs> All right. Um, Matthew chapter 14. As we continue in this conversation, we're calling disciple. We begin at verse 22 and read through 33. Immediately, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And we'll fill in the context here for what comes before this in a moment. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples they cried out in fear, but Jesus immediately, notice that word, immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, we're going to spend a lot of time today talking about this guy Peter, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. So Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me, immediately. Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that uh, you would continue to speak to us. That you would soften our hearts, that you would... Tune our ears, our spirits into what it is you want to say to us from this story today. May we find ourselves in the story of Peter this morning to our encounter with you in whatever ways we need to respond today. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right. So again, week two of this conversation called Disciple, we are looking at milestone moments in this guy Peter's story. We're looking at Peter because of all the original 12 disciples, he's the one that we have kind of the most 
data about, if you will, the most stories, the most information. And so he gives us this really interesting picture of what it looks like, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Now here at Discovery, we define discipleship very simply as formation in the ways of Jesus. Discipleship as formation in the ways of Jesus. And this comes from the premise that we are all being discipled by something. The discipleship is not a, a word or a concept that maybe we talk a lot about outside of the church, but the truth is, wherever we are at, whatever our, our, our life choices may be, we are all being discipled and formed into some way of life. Whether we've named it, whether we are intentional about it or not, something is forming us. And so for those of us who have committed to following Jesus that's a commitment. Now, we started this conversation last week with this interesting question. When does Peter become a Christian? This is a, a question that we like to ask in, the, in church, right? Like, when did you become a Christian? When did you become a Christian? And, and, you know, it's an important question, I think, because there is, this, there is something to a moment in our life where we, we say, I'm in. But I think in, in, in our actual lived experience, we find that there's many moments, right? Just think about Peter for, for a second. When does Peter become a Christian? Is it when, he leave, when Jesus sees him fishing and he leaves the nets to start following Jesus? This is Luke chapter 5, several other places. This is where we were last week, right? Pastor Antonio's brilliant teaching about the calling of Peter. Is it, when he, is it when he leaves his nets to follow Jesus? Is it when he confesses that Jesus is the Messiah and has this moment where Jesus affirms him in this very profound way? He says, Peter, you are the rock on which I am going to build my church. This is where we're going to be next week, by the way, Matthew chapter 16. Is it that moment? Is it a little bit later on? Peter's very famous for, for blowing it. And he has a moment, right, where he... Uh, he denies being with Jesus. It's a very intense part of the story. Uh, Jesus has been on trial. He's about to be killed on the cross. And, and Peter is, is being asked, weren't you with that guy? No, 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 not me. And it's this heartbreaking moment in Peter's story. But then after that, there's this beautiful, John chapter 21, this beautiful restoration between Jesus and Peter. Is that the moment? Is it Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes and Peter is the one to stand up and start preaching very boldly. And the church grows from like 150 people to over 3,000 in one day. Is it Acts chapter 10 when Peter has a vision that helps him to see just how big, how inclusive this kingdom of God really is? When is it? When does Peter become a Christian? Now in one sense, again... Markers and milestones are important. There, there's a deep human need that we have to, to uh, have clarity, to be able to name those things, to be able to say, I was here, but now I'm over here. But on the other hand, in another sense, the answer to the question is yes. Because all of it is part of the story, right? Right? Peter, like each one of us, is in a continual process of conversion. A continual process of formation where movements 
is the measure, the next step. What is the next step towards Jesus? It's much less of an arrival. Here I am, I've got it all figured out. And much more of a movement, a journey, an adventure. Are you with me? All right, now a few months ago, we looked actually at the first part of Matthew chapter 14. This was back in the fall. We were in the practices conversation, talking about the practice of encouragement. The beginning of Matthew 14 is where Jesus gets the news that his cousin, his partner in ministry, John the Baptist, has been killed in this very kind of gruesome, uh, unjust way. And so Jesus decides that he needs to get away from all of this to mourn and to grieve. But in that process of trying to get away, people find him. This, in fact, a lot of people find him. And he compassionately teaches them and heals them and feeds over 5,000 people, probably more like 10 to 15,000 people when you count women and children. So now we get to the moment where all of those things have happened, right? Death of a friend, a family member, grief, getting away huge moment of ministry to to thousands of people. And now Jesus is finally able to dismiss the crowd. And and what's interesting to me about this this moment is he really wants to be alone. Right? Like the crowd and the disciples, you can go. Right? Even Jesus needs these moments of solitude and rest and recovery. So Jesus is doing that, right? He's resting and recovering, and he sends the disciples on this boat to go to the other side of a lake. They are having a hard time uh, struggling against the wind. And this part of the story raises some questions for me. Maybe these are silly questions, but I find them to be fascinating, so I'll share them with you. Uh, what did, like, did he talk to them about how the reunion was going to go? Okay, so you guys get in a boat. I'm going to stay here on this mountain, and I'm going to pray. And then, like... How, how do they meet up? Like there's no Uber. There's no, uh, you know, public transportation or whatever. How did that go? It's very clear that the disciples, whatever their expectations were, like whatever Jesus had told them about the meetup, what they were not expecting was for him to just go for a stroll on the lake. Right? Because they're freaked out. They think he's a ghost. And then my question really is like, why go for a walk? I mean, it's pretty cool walking on water, but, like, why not fly? Or, like, teleportation, right? I think Jesus can do some of these things, but he decides to go for a walk on the lake. These are the, these are the kinds of questions that keep me up at night. For now, though, all we can say really is this, okay? It's been a, a lot has happened. Big things have happened uh, sorrow, joy, all the big feelings over the last 24, 48 hours, whatever it's been. Now it's the middle of the night. There's a storm brewing. The struggle is real for the disciples as they're out there on this lake. And then Jesus freaks them out. And so I want us to kind of think about that for just a moment, sort of sit in that place of the disciples, like all the things that have just gone on. And and now they see Jesus walking out to them. They're not sure who, like, is this a ghost, whatever. They're, they're, They're freaking out on the boat. And then to put yourself in the place of Peter. Because what Peter does here is, I mean, it's crazy. Up to this point in the story, Peter has only been mentioned, this is Matthew 14. This is right in the middle of the book of Matthew. He's only been mentioned three times. And most of the time that he's mentioned, it's just sort of like one of the the disciples, this guy Peter. After this, 
he will, he will be mentioned prominently in the next five chapters. This is a big moment in Peter's life. Something is shifting for Peter. He's moving from a minor character to a major character, and, and a lot of it has to do with this ask to come out of the boat and walk on the water towards Jesus. Now, before we get to that, let, let's, well, I think we also need to take note of this. If you have your Bibles open still, flip over to Matthew chapter 8. Because this is not the first time disciples and Jesus have been in a boat on a lake during a storm. Back in Matthew chapter 8, a very similar thing happens. Verse 24, a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, notice how he replies, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Like, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Let's do a quick compare and contrast here. Both stories, the disciples are in a boat in a storm. Both times Jesus is disengaged. One time he's sleeping, the other time he's not there. Both times the disciples freak out, even though some of them were fishermen who had experience with boats and intense moments, right? If even the fishermen are freaked out. In both cases, Jesus calls them little faiths and says, don't be afraid. Both times he saves them and calms the storm. And in both stories, the disciples are amazed at what happens. But two key differences between chapter 8 and chapter 14. The first difference has to do with Peter. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus says, hey, we're going we're gonna to get in this boat. We're going to go to the other side of the lake. And in doing so, he was, he was taking them to a place they did not want to go. Okay, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. We're going to go to this place where there's Gentiles, people who eat pigs. They're unclean. All these good Jewish guys are like, oh, my gosh, he's taking us where? Like, this is the place that they were not supposed to go. In many ways, the step of faith for them was to get into the boat and to go with Jesus to, you know, the other side of town, so to speak. The step of faith was getting into the boat here the step of faith is about getting out of the boat. For Peter to see Jesus, or a ghost for that matter, walking on the lake and to have the guts to think, I could do that. I mean, that's pretty awesome, right? Pretty awesome. And it reveals a big truth. Reveals this truth that curiosity and risk are vital means through which we experience the kingdom of God. Curiosity is a vital means through which we experience the kingdom of God. It is curiosity that compels us to seek more, to ask questions, to explore, to have the audacity even to think that if I get out of this boat, I could walk there towards Jesus. Curiosity is central to faith. Too often we, and when I say we, I'm pointing the finger right back at me. People like me, pastors, church leaders, too often we hold up certainty as the goal. 
when certainty is actually, in a lot of ways, the opposite of faith. If you already know how everything is going to go and how it's going to work out, where's the faith in that? But curiosity, that, that I wonder, that willingness to go, even if we don't know what will happen, that is the essence of faith. Now, let's shift for a moment from Peter to Jesus. As Peter goes down, right, he, he sees the wind, he sees the waves, he becomes afraid, and he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately, notice the repetition of that throughout this story, immediately saves him. And then he says this thing, right, oh, you have a little faith, why did you doubt? I think we need to read this. With like a tender tone of voice. Not, not a judgmental or accusatory tone of voice, but a tender voice. Like when my kids were learning how to ride their bikes, and they're doing the like wobble thing and they fall over. You don't go up to your kid and you're like, what are you doing? Why did you doubt? Don't you trust your bike? Like, Come on. No, 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 no. A, a parent, when their kid falls off the bike, what do you do? It's like, oh, hey, buddy, are you okay? Like, is there anything I can do to help you? That's my parenting advice for the day. I, we need to read this, I think, with that sort of tenderness. Like, oh, Peter, you have, I, got, I got you. Look, you have a little faith. It's okay. I'm right here. Why'd you doubt? Why'd you doubt? I got you. I got you. This leads to the second big contrast. The first time Jesus saves the disciples from the storm, they're amazed. And they ask the question, very good question, what kind of man is this? Right? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This time, though, they worship. Truly, you are the Son of God. You see the shift. What kind of man is this? Truly, you are the Son of God. Amazements to worship. Questions to a new conviction. And Peter is so important in this, right? Because he gives them, it's his risk, his willingness to get out of the boat, his willingness to look foolish, that creates this amazing opportunity for the rest of them to worship, and to come to this new conclusion about who Jesus is. Who is this man? Truly you are the Son of God. Do you see the movements? Do you see the movements of Peter? What's great about this part of the story, and really most of the parts of Peter's story, is that does he have it all figured out? No. Not at all. And we're going to see, again, in the coming weeks, some more ways in which he's got some ups and downs. He's got some things to to learn and to unlearn. There's definitely more time for this relationship between him and Jesus to develop. He's still got a ways to go. But the direction here is so important for us to see this morning. Peter, getting out of the boat, moving towards Jesus. Do you see the movement? Here at Discovery, we, we are all in a process of learning and unlearning. 
of formation and reformation. And the question is not, do you have all the answers? Do you have it figured out? Do you measure up? The question is, in what direction are you headed? In what direction are you headed? We spent some time a couple months ago in our vision conversation talking about the, the new country, right? Hebrews 11. God is calling us to be a new country kind of church. And for some of us, this means, myself included, there's some things that we maybe know or are good at or have picked up along the way that we have to let go in order to step into the new thing, right, in order to get out of the boat. Peter's been on this lake <clears throat> thousands of times. He has never seen the lake from outside the boat. There are some things that we need to learn and unlearn, that ways in which we need to be stuck in the boat this is, and reforms, ways in which we can get stuck in the boat. This is just how I do it. This is where I'm comfortable. This is what I like. This is what I prefer. And I wonder if there's an invitation for us this morning, get out of that boat and see things in this whole new way. Do you see the movements, and then do you see that doubt is actually vital to faith? Do you see that doubt is vital to faith? Again, all too often in church, we, we are made to feel like doubt is bad, that doubt disqualifies us, that, that doubt is something that needs to be hidden or tucked away or overcome, like it's an obstacle in our way, and if I can just get around this doubt, then something good will be on the other side of that. Now, for sure, doubt can be something that hinders us, and it can certainly be a way for us to hide, just like many other things, but when doubt is embraced as a gift, it drives curiosity and curiosity is a means through which we experience the kingdom of God. What are your doubts? <laughs> a long list of doubts about all kinds of things. God, the church, yourself maybe, all sorts of stuff. This, by the way, is partly why I love our name. Discovery. Because this is the invitation, right, to explore, to explore, to name your doubts, to ask good questions, to go on this journey of discovery. All too often I've seen doubt, I've seen questions sort of brushed aside. You know, oh, that's, don't, don't be too critical. I also, though, on the other side of that, I see sometimes we hide behind that, right? Well, I've just got all these questions. Those are, questions are good. Questions are good. But then we, we tend to, again, hide behind that, stick to the sidelines, unwilling to get into the game. And, and so there's an important tension here that, that we, need, we need to be in courageship in the way of Jesus. We need to ask good questions. And we need to be encouraged in our questioning. We need to make space for other people to ask great questions. But we also need to be willing to explore. Right? For those questions to be transformed into curiosity, we need to get out of the boat and to experiment and to move and to take that next step, whatever it might be, closer to Jesus. So what are your doubts and then what is your direction?
As we follow Peter's story, we're going to watch him now take this turn from consumer to creator. From a guy who's just along for the ride, one of the dudes in the boat, to the one who's willing to get out, to the one who's now usually the first one to speak up, the one who's willing to look dumb, the one who's willing to ask the question that everybody else is thinking but no one is willing to say out loud. We see Peter go from where he was last week, right? Jesus inviting him, come with me. So now Peter is saying, hey, can I go out there? It's a very important moment in all of our stories. The move from critic to creator, from consumer to conceiver. In what direction are you moving? In what direction are you moving? Now I want to just name three specific directional Next steps. There's probably many more, but I feel like there's three we need to name this morning. Don't apply to all of us, but maybe one of these is, is the, the next thing that you need to do. For some of us, we need to get out of the boat and get baptized. To publicly and fully identify with Jesus as our king. And as you heard a few moments ago, Easter is coming. It's a couple weeks away. We've still got plenty of time and, and space for you uh, to be a part of that. If you are ready to take that step, let's do it. April 9th, get baptized. Maybe we need to get out of the boat and check out neighborhood communities. We've been hearing about these things, and we've had some doubts. Neighborhood communities, what if they suck? Like, what if I get stuck in a living room with nerds? Uh, we have these doubts, but we also have these desires for community, for friendship, for people to go on this adventure with. And so maybe this is the step you need to take. Take that risk. Explore. Show up. See what it's like. Neighborhood communities always open to you. And then the last one would be maybe we need to get out of the boat and start participating at Discovery. And there's all sorts of ways for that to happen. Um, but some, for some of us, that might mean participating on Sunday morning. Set up and tear down connections, kids, production. We have sign-up sheets on the connection table in the lobby. Uh, if you feel like that's what you need to do, just give us your email. Someone will be in touch with you very quickly and give you all the information you need about that. Again, maybe it's participating in, in the life of the community, neighborhood communities during the week. Maybe it's um, some of our other generosity opportunities uh, here. Maybe you've been sitting on the sidelines. And that next step, time to get out of the boat. Now, the simple beauty of this story is that it is the good news of Jesus. It is the gospel in short. And as the band comes back and, and we get ready here to take communion, I just want to talk about this for a brief moment before we come to the table. Peter is compelled by Jesus. Lord, if that's you, can I, can I do this? Can I get out there? Can I go meet you? He's compelled by Jesus, but he cannot get there on his own. He cannot get there on his own, and so he cries out, save me. And this is exactly what Jesus does, right? 
immediately. Jesus reaches down into Peter's fear, Peter's mess, Peter's risk, his step of faith, and he pulls him out. Right? Jesus reaches down and pulls Peter out. There's a lot of wonderful, great attributes of Peter that are worth celebrating in this story. But the story ends with Jesus reaching down and pulling Peter out from death back to life. And this is, again, this is the good news of Jesus. This is the gospel in a nutshell. God reaching down and pulling us back to life. Into our sin, into our death, into our rebellion. I got you. And pulling us out. I got you. Immediately. And so this is what we celebrate every Sunday when we gather, when we come to the table. And we take these very simple elements, the, the cracker and the juice that Jesus himself said represents his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us. This tangible reminder of what he has done for us, that he's reached down and pulled us from death to life. I got you. Little faith, I got you. When you're ready, after I pray here and we sing these songs, whenever you're ready, come to the table this morning. Take communion with us. Celebrate this movement of Jesus. Father, we pray now um, that as you are speaking to us, God, you would make it clear to us what that next step is. Maybe it's one of the, the three things that I mentioned. Maybe it's some other thing, a conversation that needs to happen a new practice that needs to be engaged in, whatever it might be, God, would you give us the courage to respond and to do that today? God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you have done in Jesus, that he came. That you reached down through your son and said, I got you. And so, Father, we celebrate that today. We are grateful for who you are and what you have done. And we pray this in Jesus' name.